0: and I think I've shared this statement with you, it really uh, stuck out to me and really summarizes a, what we are challenged with in our thinking in 21st century Christians in America, and that is this statement, your conscience is meant to be a stoplight, not a go light. It is meant to be a red stoplight, not a green Go light. It doesn't work very well as a go light because it, it gets seared very easily. It gets callous very easily. It can be that thing that tells you, yeah, well, it didn't bother me the last time. So I'll go for it again. Last week we looked at how the gospel should affect our social life. And today we look at how following Christ should affect our private life. We look at how Christ should reign over our secret and deepest desires. And this is where only your conscience and the Holy Spirit reside. And if you're letting your conscience be the deciding factor, remember this. Your conscience is meant to be a stoplight, not a green light. A man complained to his psychiatrist as he laid on the couch, I guess, that 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 uh, Chase, I think they call it. He says, I've been doing wrong and my conscience is bothering me terribly. And Dr. Sherr asked him, he said, so do you want to work on some, some skills for how you can, you can uh, say no, and develop greater willpower? His patient replied, oh no, I want you to prescribe me something that can turn off the guilt. He wanted his conscience to stop Bothering him. So let's look at the heart's desires that our passage puts in the crosshairs. As we look at how we are to worship God through what we pursue. We read in verses 4 through 6 of Hebrews 13. Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? We look here at the two areas of the private life that that are very possibly we know the most about as Americans. The sexualization of our culture and the materialism are literally mind-numbing, conscience-numbing. America began, we began as a place where people could be free to worship the God that they chose and to worship God freely. And it still is, but America has drastically changed the gods that it worships. And it still worships them freely and without restraint and as followers of Christ we need to be reminded that we worship the creator and not the thing that is created we are to worship the creator who gave us sexual intimacy rather than to worship sex like our nation does we are to worship the creator that gave us financial ability the ability to work hard and to earn an income for the work that we do. We are not to worship the money that we gain from it. The first place where our author meddles with our minds has to do with marriage and sexuality. And from it, I want to challenge you, value your marriage enough to protect it. He says, let marriage be held in honor among all And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Marriage is to be held in honor. This means being of exceptional value, holding it as, this is so precious to me. Held it as of a great price, esteemed. The place where the sexual union of husband and wife, the bed, is to be undefiled. It's to be kept pure, uninvaded in our mind, in our hearts. This is an amazing statement. Because the idea of of being sexually immoral is the idea of fornication. Having sex, if you will, outside of marriage in any way. The idea of adultery is to step out of that relationship with our spouse and to be involved in sexual intimacy with someone that is not our spouse. But he throws in there and let the marriage bed be kept pure. Boy, that involves the mind. That involves what we allow our eyes to see. It recognizes that there are overt and covert ways that we can defile our marriage bed. And it can easily happen through the expectations of our culture. It can happen through the examples of people's bodies that are paraded before us. And we stop and think, my husband doesn't look like that. My wife doesn't look like that. Even the simplest thing like that, we are called to keep as much as possible to every degree we can. The marriage bed protected from this thinking. It can happen through pornographic images that are consumed by our culture and that are thrown at us constantly. And and that any one of us, all of us, face the temptation of that. It can happen through the Hallmark movie or the Harlequin romance novel. My husband doesn't treat me like that. We don't think of us as having escaped I don't think any of us have escaped this completely. But we must no less fight against it, and we fight it by holding marriage in honor, by valuing what we have. As I mentioned, when it talks about the sexually immoral, it's talking about the fornicator. And then when it talks about the adulteress, it is one who's unfaithful to the spouse that they are married to. And it warns us that God will judge these. And certainly if some... If someone is an unbeliever they need to be warned that these sins as long as as much as any of their other sins will not escape judgment in hell but immoral and adulterous believers cannot escape the devastation of these sins either the consequence of these are warned about in the proverbs As the young man is warned to stay away from the adulterous woman in Proverbs 2 verses 18 through 19. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. We're further warned of the brutal consequences of sex outside of marriage in Proverbs 6. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. You know, we joke about, you know, what must have been uh, a a step in, in human development when man, quote, unquote, discovered fire. I mean, to be able to convert an object into energy is basically what happened energy that can cook your food, energy that can keep you warm. And, and fires are wonderful things in a fireplace where they're meant to be, outside maybe. Uh, scripture asks, can a man build a fire in his lap and not get burned? And it's asking that in connection with sexual immorality, adultery. To take something as wonderful as sexual intimacy, like fire that is, belongs in a place, and to build it somewhere outside of that context, destroys a life, destroys a family. And as we are seeing, it destroys a culture. Because there is no end to what it will consume. It consumes the very identity of people. It consumes their very identity. Identity in their genders. It's devastating. We should argue for the protection of marriage both for God's glory and out of love for those on whom it brings judgment for defiling it. Worship God through what you pursue with your mind. And you should pursue holding your marriage and your future marriage with high regard. Honoring it, treasuring it, defending it, protecting it. Value marriage so much that you'll sacrifice for it. You'll sacrifice your rights. You'll sacrifice your desires for what the world defines as sexual fulfillment. You'll sacrifice your pride and talk with your children and your grandchildren about the importance, the value, the beauty of sexual intimacy within marriage. You'll sacrifice your comfort and talk about it. And maybe even talk about your failures. You must protect the sexual relationship that you have with your future spouse as well. Single folks. Care for that future marriage by waiting for it. Care for the marriage of other people by protecting them And their future marriage stay far away from other people's spouses. Stay far away from material and images that are selfish and fleshly in their expectations of your marriage. There is a zombie apocalypse going on in our culture. Where people instead of treasuring one another as being made in the image of God. They're consuming one another. And it doesn't just affect the person that's consumed, it affects the consumer as they lose touch with what it means for other people to be human. We're talking about letting Christ be everything in our private lives. And a big help is to keep this struggle from being private. I I know it might seem contradictory with such a private situation as protecting the marriage bed to talk to someone about our struggles but that's what it takes we myself our shepherds small group leaders we want to help one another we want to pour into each other part of how you keep yourself from diving into the false draw of sexual, of false sexual intimacy is by letting someone else in on it and saying, hey, I need help with this. Because guess what you're gaining by that? Real, biblical, godly intimacy with a, with a brother or a sister. And it answers that need. It can't be done otherwise. And instead of treating immorality and adultery like they're some sort of sweet, forbidden fruits, we are to value marriage and true, pure sexual relationships that we've been created with for within marriage as it is meant to be, to value it. And secondly, worship God through what you pursue. This also means don't look to money for your deliverance. He goes on to say, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, and speaking of God, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? F.F. F. Bruce says, the chief pain which pierces the heart of the lover of money is a gnawing anxiety. The greedy person can never be happy, but the opposite of covetousness is contentment, as we're told in these verses here. he talks about keep your life free from the love of money, the, the term love of money, it's a combination of words that literally means fondness for silver. Keep your heart free from a fondness. For silver, for money. It's not that we struggle with loving money, right? It's that we love what money can do for us. We love independence. We love comfort and luxury, what what we think money can bring, and not having to worry about ourselves or those who depend on us. We think that it will make us less dependent on others. But once we get old enough, we see that that's not the case, right? We kind of return to dependence once again, no matter how much we have. We think that money will make us worry less. I'll never forget the, the advertisement that I saw, you know, one of those Joe Namath, call now to get your Social Security benefits and and. Literally one of the actors that, that they had saying, she said, I called to get my extra $150 a month. I'm so glad I don't have to worry anymore. Really, is that all it takes? An extra $150 bucks a month? I don't care if it's $150,000 a month. It will not remove our worry. I don't care if you're you're like, I'm set, now I'm putting money away from my grandkids. It is not going to remove your worry for your grandkids. And it is not going to remove their problems. I remember sitting down with someone who has more riches than I will ever have. And hear them say, I just wish I didn't have to worry about money. I'm going to remember that. It does not take the worry away. But that's the lie that's the private desire that love for if i just had enough we're called to be content this means to be satisfied with your circumstances specifically that term circumstances is wrapped up into this be satisfied where god with where god has you a satisfaction that is a kind of strength that doesn't crumble under up, 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 the unappealing situation. Kenneth Weist writes, it refers to the ability of the Christian dependent on the Holy Spirit to be independent of outward circumstances. Do you notice that? We love the, quote, independence that being rich enough will gain us. But it puts us in a place where we are dependent on the shift of our circumstances for whether or not we will be happy, for whether or not we will worry. We think that money gives us independence, but we actually end up very dependent. When you know you get that, okay, I got a three percent raise, all right, I got a two percent raise, all right, I got a three percent raise, three years right after another, one after another, and guess what? The next year, eight percent inflation. There goes those three years of raises. Or what we're told in the scriptures, don't lay up for yourselves treasure where moth and rust sneak in, where thieves sneak in and steal, where moth and rust destroy. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where none of that is going to happen. That's what we should be depending on. That's what a love for money steals away from us. I remember a quote that we saw on Facebook some long time ago. It almost redeemed social media for me. Comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy because when inflation rises or when investments fail or when our neighbor just has something that we don't, whatever joy that we thought we had from our money, it evaporates. The reason we are given for why we should be content rather than to love money and what money can give us is because God has promised to care for you. How amazing is this? He says, for, meaning because, he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. These two two statements come with a double and then a triple negative. He says, I will never, ever, leave you, nor never, ever, no, not ever, forsake or abandon you. The ESV study Bible says the antidote to love of money is contentment, which comes from trusting in God's promised provision. The combination promise would have tipped the readers off to Israel entering the promised land And it was full of of entrenched enemies. They're like sitting there going, what are you doing coming in here? Whose land do you think you're going to take? You think we're just going to roll over and give this to you? These, These nations that were mightier than them, that were more numerous than them, and that were entrenched in fortified cities. And yet God is saying, yeah, over there, go make that yours. But God tells Moses, in Deuteronomy 31 be strong and courageous do not fear or be in dread of them for it is the Lord your God who goes with you he will not leave you or forsake you You're thinking well good that's that's okay Moses you're good I guess But he passes it on to the next leader. It says, Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all of Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with these people into the land that the Lord has shown to their fathers to give them. And you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. If that's not enough, God reiterates the same promise to Joshua after Moses dies. In Joshua 1.5, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. So that, that is what's popping back up into these Hebrew readers' minds as they read this, as they're reminded of this. And these Jewish Christians... We were living among their Jewish friends and family and had become strangers in their land overnight upon following Christ. They feared the loss of business, they feared the loss of security, but they took heart in the wealth of God's provision that is available to those who trust Him. And here we have this promise, we, you know, just as they could have said, well, that was true of Moses, that was true of Joshua, that was true of the people that followed them. And here the reader references back, the writer references back to them, the reason why I tell you, you should be free from a love of money is because God has also promised you and we can receive it as well, that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Don't cheat yourself out of seeing God provide for you. Live free from chasing after money, being satisfied with the life you have. God himself has made it clear. He said, there is no, no way I will stop sustaining you and upholding you. I will not, not, not let you down. I will not abandon you. The result that we're given for why we should be content rather than to love money is knowing that Christians are never truly vulnerable. He says, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? To be vulnerable means to be open to attack. Now, when I say we're never truly vulnerable, I mean that we aren't open to attack outside of God's care. Verse 6 quotes a psalm in relationship with the fact that God will never leave us nor forsake us. And the result is that we need not fear what man might do to us. But you might say, as as uh, Brad referenced, J.D., what about Job? I mean... It sure seems like that it, it would have been wise to fear those foreign raiders. You know, the ones that came and killed all his servants and, and stole all his, his livestock? Amazingly, to both the devastation of the whirlwind and the raiders, the whirlwind that took his children and the raiders that took his wealth, Job responded, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We are assured that we need not fear what someone might do to us because even in the midst of it God is still our helper and God is not void of resources. That that's the understatement of the world, right? In fact, he is using whatever he allows for his glory and for the good of his children. It's because God, uh, he is always our helper. He is always in control. i gonna read to you a definition of God's sovereignty that's pretty amazing. God's sovereignty is defined as his complete and total independent control over every creature, event, and circumstance at every moment in history. Subject to none, Influenced by none, absolutely independent. God does what he pleases, only as he pleases, always as he pleases. God is in complete control over every molecule in the universe at every moment. And everything that happens is either caused or allowed by him for his own perfect purposes. End quote. Thus we can have courage and say of our circumstances, the Lord is my helper. I am not going to be fearful. What can be done to me by man that God is not a part of? Don't look to money for your deliverance because God has promised to care for you knowing Christians are never truly vulnerable. The world sings about money, on the one hand, stoically, and on the other hand, cashing their checks. Money, it's a gas. Grab that cash with both hands and make a stash. New car, caviar, four-star, daydream. Think I'll buy a football team. The best things in life are free, but you, can't keep, but you can keep them for the birds and the bees, your love, your loving give me a thrill, but your loving don't pay the bills. Money don't get everything, it's true. What it don't get, I can't use. Now give me money, that's what I want. So even if you find yourself moving on up to the east side, to a deluxe apartment in the sky, worship God. Through what you pursue. And this means pursuing obedience to God rather than pursuing an increasing bank account. Do you believe God when he reminds you, I will never leave you nor forsake you? How much of your income do you invest in God's kingdom work by giving to it? Just as the solution to immorality and adultery is to obey God by honoring marriage, the solution to the temptation of loving money is to obey God by trusting his sovereign care over you. I I read a a legendary, you know, a fanciful story about a hog that loved acorns. And, And it found these acorns were were scattered mostly under this certain tree. And he'd just sit there all day long just eating acorns all fall, all season. Or maybe it's spring. I don't know when acorns drop, but anyways. Just nuzzling around, nuzzling around. and He found a later in the season it was harder and harder to find him. And so he was nuzzling around, moving dirt around, moving, you know, biting through uh, uh, sticks and, and roots and looking for those acorns. Well, the horse looks over at the hog and it says... Hey, you keep nuzzling around. You keep digging up that dirt with your paws and your teeth, and you're going to ruin the tree. Hog looks at him and says, "All I want are acorns. Who cares about the tree? Do you see what that's what our world is doing? All I want is the created thing. Who cares about the creator? Do you see the insanity?" that it is driving people to? The temptations we face are to feast off of what God uses to care for us, to take them outside of the godly context that he has put them in, to get our needs met by them rather than by him. This is the case with sex outside of marriage or chasing money outside of his plan. Both are means that God has provided for care to take care of our needs. But in worshiping them instead of him, they lose their place and we lose sight of our purpose and we become enslaved to them. And the things we've worshiped and loved, their strength to satisfy, we become overpowered by them live with God in trust and obedience, even in your secret desires. That's his plan, to transform you from the inside out. And he will show himself faithful and sufficient to supply everything that you need. Let's bow our heads.